Knott's Scary Farm just revealed their full 50th anniversary lineup. That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring you the news and information you need to prepare for Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, our annual Halloween programming begins September 1st and runs through Halloween Day. This show is just one part of that programming, so check out our email newsletter for the full details. Today, as we prepare for our Halloween programming, I'm playing an episode from our sister show, Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. In it, we discuss the 50th anniversary of Knott's Scary Farm. As a reminder, we used to air this show actually in this feed, but we no longer do that because it covers more general theme park information. If you want to subscribe to that show, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Okay, here we go. Uh, from our studios in Tampa and Los Angeles, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Uh, well, it's uh, it's almost September, Scott. We have this... Our big story to start off this week is talking about Not Scary Farm and their 50th anniversary. Um, it kind of, we've kind of got, they waited a little bit to give us all the details, but there are a lot of details and they were all revealed during their Nightmares Revealed event, which was a new event that just happened this past week on the 24th. Uh, so it was kind of like given via presentation that was live streamed. So people got to watch the live stream and then they sent out press releases. And if you were there in person, you got to watch it in person. So, um, didn't you say it was also open to the public? Yeah. So the event, the nightmares revealed event was a new event this year that was open to anybody, you know, season pass holders, regular people. Uh, and then there were invited media and there was a ticket fee for it. So, uh, we'll talk about that. So I think we, We'll break it up. We can talk about the announcements first, and then we can talk about the event itself. uh, Because we, you know, we just talked about events like these with the Taste of Terror and and why this could be important for kind of drawing out a little bit, like kind of extending the uh, the Halloween season a little bit. So, well, and I think I I think the Halloween season is extending on its own. So I think events like this are even more important Mm -hmm. um, to kind of give people a little. little wayfinding for the rest of the season you know it's like here's what's here's what's coming up here's what's going to happen because it's already starting before the mass populace is even thinking yep. about halloween um but but again that's why they have all the the cool tie-ins and then you know of course this being a big year for for uh for knots you know big five oh <laughs> the big five <laughs> oh okay i was gonna make a five oh birthday joke but um okay so Thanks for not doing it because, you know, that was a long time ago for me, jerk. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> wow. All right. So the not, the Knott's Scary Farm 50th anniversary will include three new mazes, which for a total of 10, there's just there's seven returning and three new mazes. There's going to be five scare zones and four shows. That's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, shows. It's a lot of entertainment. Uh, it'll begin mm-hmm. September 21st, which is the latest event start date for the ones in SoCal. But, you know, in, in terms of mm-hmm. the, the country of independent haunts, it's not it's not that late. But uh, Horror Nights, of course, will kick everything off in Orlando on the 1st and then Hollywood on the 8th and then uh, SeaWorld San Diego and whatnot that that weekend and then the other parks. So so they, they basically they'll have a few weeks uh, before everybody else uh, after everyone else opened before they get going uh, and, and they're. 
Which I don't think is necessarily a bad plan. Yeah. I think the idea of, you know, let's let's not all, uh, I think they've recognized- You don't want to crowd the same There's weekend. no point in everybody trying to, con exactly. There's no point in trying to compete directly with everything. And after everyone's had the opportunity, after the, you know, the, the, the avid fans have had the opportunity to experience other stuff, then they can yep. go to knots. Uh, it's going to run for 29 nights. And uh, there's a lot in this event. I think the things, I, I only want to highlight the things that are most interested. You can open the show notes and read the entire announcement. But the things that are most interesting to me are the three new mazes. Uh, not that there are three new mazes, but what's interesting is the stories behind the new mazes, specifically two of them. So there's one that's in Miss Lasher, which is uh, just a kind of an homage to slasher films. Um, the one that's most interesting is called The Chilling Chambers. And this is going to be like a 50th anniversary celebration maze where there's a keeper who has been keeping and collecting some of the secrets from, from years gone by. And you're going to walk through the chambers and into different scenes from the history of, uh, of, the, of Scary Farm. Uh, so I think that's an excellent idea. And I think when I was reading it, it kind of reminded me of uh, what you talk about, which is reutilizing your assets. You know, if it's like, oh, if there's a way for you to uh, use a bunch of the props you still have in storage without having to write a new story, really, to connect them all, the story is they've been collected by a collector <laughs> who, who mm -hmm. is <laughs> putting them together. Um, I mean, it works. Like, I think in this context for the 50th, it is... It is uh, smart on both ends. It's using assets, and it's it's also kind of allowing nods to the fans. And if you just come right out and say it, and you and the keeper, by the way, is their new uh, icon character. So they're rolling him into the the park as a whole. Um, but then he gets this maze, which is um, you know where he gets to uh, uh, give a nod to Scary Farm's past while terrorizing the audience of today. Well, and it makes total sense, really, because, you know, it's uh, if we if someone hadn't done this, uh, you know, if they hadn't done a uh, let's call it the best of clip mm -hmm. show maze, you know, um, I think people would have been disappointed. They would have said, well, so what are they doing that's 50th related? And the nice thing about introducing a new character that has been in the shadows collecting all this stuff, it gives it gives the character great depth. It creates the illusion that the character's always been there. Um, even though it's brand new. And uh, so, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is kind of a clever clever way to not only reutilize, but also give the fans, give the avid fans exactly what they want um, without <clears throat> without really damaging any of the, the storyline yeah. issues at all. Uh, I do think also, um, I'm sure the Knox team would never admit to this, but as a reporter and as a, like a observer, um, I would say that Knox has a little bit of a, a history of always kind of doing like a nod, you know, kind of like a nod to the culture, right? Uh, the Hanging is back this mm -hmm. year. We'll talk about that. But that was, it, they were kind of infamous in that show for, for that kind of thing. And I think, you know, again, Dark Ride, you know, have, going through a Dark Ride in Southern California that was, I mean, there's lots of nods to this. I think um, a lot of the stuff they're doing is a nod. I mean, it, it, so, you know, if we, we just heard this year, right, that the Phantom of the Opera was coming to Universal, and now suddenly there's the Keeper who uh, lives in a cathedral, but like underground, <laughs> and has been watching knots for like, I mean, come on, you know, it's, it's, um, 
you know, and 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 you know, it's it's also no secret that the the same actor that that plays Monty Revolta at the L.A. Hayride is the keeper uh, here. Um, it's 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 pretty clear um, because the character tones are so similar, and obviously it's the same, it's the same guy. But um, so I think even that, even trying to work that in, you know, working in like a nod to the Hayride with the with a similar character, and working in like a nod, like this is their Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I think these are fun nods. Well, and and Knott's has, has, and again, I have not been to Knott's Scary Farm in many, many years, but even back, you know, over 20 years ago when I went, um, the, uh, which was the last time, the, uh, the, the, their whole, their whole approach was sort of the, the nods to the insiders. You know, I, I I think that, uh, and they've played it really, really smoothly, I think, at least from, from my perspective, in the fact that, they can they're making it nods to the insiders without being exclusive to those people who are not insiders yeah. in the haunt industry. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 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 playing to a core audience without without um without shunning a broader a broader spectrum or a less a less I don't want to use the word educated, but a less immersed audience. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I, I think they're I think we've been very wise in doing that. And I think it's what helps maintain their, you know, as one of the oldest theme park Halloween events, um, it, they they're still maintaining a certain level of cool without without throwing out uh, their yeah. their history. You know, it's I think it's a very yeah. wise approach. Uh, and then the other one I want to highlight was uh, Room Thirteen, which uh, basically, if you follow again, again they it's another one that stands on its own, but is for the super fans because there's this uh, green elixir that they've been. It started off as uh, in just promo commercials, and you're kind of like, what, "What is that green elixir, right?" And then it got its own scare zone a few years ago called the Goring Twenties, which uh, our friend Ted worked on, which we talked about on the show because they had little performances, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, it it was um, very immersive, you know, for 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 scare zones, you know, uh, and and now the haunt is exploring the backstory of the creation of that elixir, so they're kind of kind of tying, the, you know, they're really bringing it full circle in that. So again, it's the same we talk about. It's like following the story. It's like, you know, do you, you know, people are interested in the scare maze. It's doing well. And now you can kind of back up and uh, you don't have to retcon anything, but you can, you know, tell the story of the device that people are carrying around, which really I think probably started off as just a narrative plot point to kind of um, tie it together. Because if it's the goring 20s, then this is, you know, this is the alcohol stand-in, but but evil, right? So, I you know, so I think... It's absent from hell. Yeah, that's what it boils exactly. Down to, so I think know. it started off as a as a, a plot point, but as as you know the the fandom for that scare zone grew, you know, and I think this is again this is exactly what we talk about. It's like you know you um kind of sometimes you put out your story and you wait to see what people are interested in. Then you can, if it's a good story, there's always you know more to it. So you can broaden it from there once people show they care about what this green liquid is. Right. Right. And the fact that, you know, the fact that they're doing sort of a, uh, it sounds like they're doing sort of a prequel yep. um, because they need to, because they, they they want to explain it's the inception of this green liquid, um, how it was created. You know, prequels, sequels, it's something that's been going on in horror films forever. And I think it's it's perfect fodder for the development and expansion of, you know, a haunt branding within, within a, a haunted attraction. Um, I will say the thing that I'm most excited because I, you know, I, I never read your notes before we start the show. Uh, 
I should, but I don't. Um, the, but I will say the thing I was most excited about, though, is to see that the hanging yep. is coming back. Um, when I, you know, 20, over 20 years ago, 23 years ago, 22 years ago, uh, when I was last at Knott's, the, the hanging was in its heyday. And it was, in my opinion, the most irreverent and um, bombastic, um, like nothing, nothing was sacred, no holds barred. Um, over the top Halloween show I had ever seen, and uh, you know it. It, in my opinion, at that time, it was so much more compelling because they really didn't give a crap about who they offended. They didn't care about um, what what toes they stepped on. It was it, it. It sort of blew. Sorry, Universal Friends, kind of blew Bill and Ted yep. out of the water. Yep. Um, because they didn't. They didn't follow any real. I didn't get the feeling they were following any corporate yeah. stand- standards. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that is the case as it returns because it is by it was by far the most irreverent of of all the Halloween shows I'd ever seen. Yeah, it was interesting because remember it was uh, previously written by Ken Parks, who has now moved over to the corporate mm-hmm. entertainment side. So, so uh, I'd be curious to know mm-hmm. who was working on writing it now. You know, as in like if it's. You know, because it was kind of like Ken's brainchild. So I, I don't know if anyone knows. Please let us know because I'm curious. If I if I know Ken, he probably has a finger yeah. or two in it. Um, at least at least throwing in some ideas. Because uh, Ken Ken is an amazing writer, and his his conceptualization for storytelling is 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 wonderful. And I've had the great pleasure of mm-hmm. working with him on a couple different occasions, and he's just he's amazing. So I hope. Let me put it this way: I hope whoever's writing it. Um, was smart enough to go to Ken and say, "Hey, Ken, you're the one who's really the the mastermind behind this kind of thing. What do you think of this?" And see what see what he was able to to yeah. zhuzh. Uh, let's see. Also, also, so looking more at the event as a whole and and some of the larger components of it, um, I think season passes are back, and that they have not been back for a while, if I remember correctly. Um, and we just talked about this when we talked about uh disney doing the opposite right where mickey's not so scary isn't offering a season pass they're just <laughs> they're just relying on people to buy day tickets and sell out and it's working <laughs> and you know august it, the sellout dates continue to creep as scott said from the end and the beginning uh, and might meet in the middle sometime in september uh, so this is kind of the opposite approach and uh, i think the season pass is like 140 40 dollars or something it's it's very reasonable uh, it, it's it's shockingly reasonable, I think. Uh, like I, I think I've seen independent haunts that have a more expensive season pass. So, so I'm not sure um, if they're not worried about capacity or or if, I, I I don't know because <laughs> I feel like uh, you know it, I think the the Disney direction is to try and get you know the the day rate. So I'm not sure if they just are. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's an, it's interesting. We'll see how it turns out. Well, generally speaking, there are two approaches yeah. to do. an event of any kind in a theme park. And one approach is to make your money on the gate. And the other is to make your money on the merchandise, the culinary, the return visitation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It clearly sounds like this is an example of the, the gate is not where they're, they plan to make their profitability. It is every time somebody comes back, they'll buy X, Y, and Z. They'll do um, upcharges. They'll they'll visit some of the retail establishments and may not buy, purchase things the first visit, but may purchase something much larger the second visit because they come back and go, "Ooh, I've been thinking about that. I really want it." 
Yeah. So again, that's what it sounds like just based on super basic theme park theory when it comes to profitability. Um, it's not about the number of tickets you sell. It's about the, the in-park spend, or it is about the number of tickets you, you sell and to heck with the in-park spend. So yeah, those are the two main focuses. And it sounds like they are definitely looking at uh, getting people into the park so that they will spend yep. money there. Well, speaking exactly to that, Scott, uh, this year they have a legacy store. Um, so I, I guess it's... um. For those listening to this podcast, they should be aware of the Tribute Store in Orlando. And I think this is uh, really going down that that same vibe. And you know what? It's working for Universal. So it's like, it's it's not this, you know, we talk about this on the show a lot. It's it's never, um, you know, it's like um, copying can be flattery. And it, you know, if you're in a different market, it can work for you. You know, it, and and I think this is a, a very, I mean... I'll just put it this way: no, nobody else in SoCal is doing a tribute store, uh, tribute store, a leg, sorry, a legacy store. Nobody else in uh, in SoCal is doing a legacy store to this scale by by any stretch of the. I mean, this is a full, it, just like in Orlando, it is a full installation, and this year it features again scenes from mazes in the past, where they brought in pieces of the mazes and put them in there to make photo ops and put whatnot, and it is accessible from the marketplace and from the park, which means it can be open every single day, even days that Scary Farm is not open. It's, so it's open every single day from now through the close of the event, through Halloween. And, you know, I mean, Disney, you know, they set up their merch and it looks great. And, you know, but Hollywood doesn't do this here, you know, and Six Flags doesn't do this here. So it's really, um, I think in terms of the SoCal area, it, it's a test of, to see how this will go. And now this is in addition to the the art show that's coming back. I mean, it's, they move this whole thing and they, they really focus on this. So I think to your point, exactly what you just said, I mean, they're, they're really leaning into the, the merch and the experience of the merch. Well, and, you know, we've talked about retailtainment for a very mm -hmm. long time. And, you know, the, the retailtainment that started in the theme park, went outside the theme park and went to the mall is now coming back yep. to the theme park. So, you know, everything is cyclical. I... I, I, I don't think, you know, I, every time I write anything, I always, I always include a, a retail component. And um, even I have even written just recently, uh, even written shows that are their, their purpose is, is twofold. It's number one, it's to add an additional element to an event. But number two, it is also to bring a crowd in so that the, the retail side of, uh, of the area is is focused and has uh, a bunch of people that are already there ready yep. to buy because it becomes interactive yeah i think so, yeah go for it i think I you can it. uh i agree with that 100 i i think the, the order i usually tell people though is like when i work with my clients the same thing it's like you you have to make your product good first <laughs> the product has to be good right but then beyond that mm -hmm. you know th these are our ways and, and they, they should be really as good and they should be tied into the story i mean you should your, you know, again, just look at Universal. I mean, really, your food should tie into what you're doing. It should, your food should be an experience and it should tie into the story. And your merch should be the same thing. It should be an experience and it should tie in to what you're trying to do there. Um, so, you know, like mm -hmm. at, at, you know, at Hush, you know, we do the themed bars, but all the drinks and all the stuff ties in to the, the zone they're in. And then 
for merch this year, you know, you have the Hush Falls Hotel. We have Hush Falls Hotel keys. You can get a key card. You know, you can get a room key to show that you've been at the Hush Falls. I mean, just things that they have to, they don't have to be, you know, break the bank, right? If you don't have theme park budgets, but they should really tie into the story. It should be a piece of the story that the, the guests can re- have to remind them. Mm-hmm. Well, Terror Roulette is doing the exact same thing this year. Um, and it's a brand new haunt, you know, in, in a very crowded market. Um, but the merchandise, I'm very excited. I'm seeing some of the, the preliminary sketches of the merch. And I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping it all gets produced the way I'm seeing it because some of it is, is blatant and some of it is completely story tied and uh, that guests won't know unless they actually have experienced um, the 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 attraction. So I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. And it's it's not it's not quite a full legacy store because well, there's no point in doing legacy for something that's just opening yeah. this year. Um, but it will be you know there they will be um, pieces that will go oh that was from year one when X Y Z happened and I think that could be really yeah. cool. So well yeah and and on I think I would be uh, remiss to not mention some of the the new merch. So there's a, there's like a not scary farm monopoly, uh, scaryopoly, uh, set that was developed, um, which is great. And there's also, I think the, the big thing they're pushing this year is for this, uh, lantern. And again, it fits into the story because if you remember the conductor who came out a few years ago, he's always infamous for having his lantern. So it fits into the lore of knots, but this lantern, it's basically like a glow with the show. It, it, it really reminds me of the stuff we worked on that we worked on at, at, at from Gantam with Knots many years ago um, about the interactivity. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise is that guests can buy this lantern for $40 and they can carry it with them through the entire event, including into the mazes and into those areas. And it has a static show mode, which is uh, the regular lantern glow. And then there's a hundred instances around the event as a whole where it performs some interactive thing. Um, so I, I, I'm really curious to get your feedback because I've heard already from from some naysayers um, that say that they're, they think it's going to ruin the the maze experience if everybody's holding lanterns that are all lighting the maze, blah, blah, blah. Um, me personally, um, I think it looks really cool. And I think that um, from a content standpoint, I, I just think that it's a cool, it's like you're giving everybody a prop that, and this is a weird thing, Scott's going to roll his eyes, but it's, I think you're giving everybody a prop they can take great photos with. And then, um, you know, when they hold it up to their face, it lights their face so it makes better photos. That's, <laughs> that's my takeaway. <laughs> Says yeah, the content says the creator. Content creator. So, yeah. and how I've already done a lot of a lot of sexy content with that lantern, Scott. Yes, yes. So here's Light my thought. Up, baby. I, I, you, when you hit the, I think you, <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head when you said um, when you said it. There, it's like giving everybody a prop. To me, it it makes. Uh, visually it will make the the guests walking through the haunted the haunted mazes um, look like they are part of the uh, the the experience um they're not just passive observers they are now um part of the part of the haunt and if they're smart um they will throw in some um characters who are carrying this the lantern as well to sort of blur the the line between guest and uh and staff or guest and cast um but I, yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I think that by giving, by making the, the, the guest 
a a part of the story, a part of the experience. It's great. And the truth be told, you know, everybody's before it's even happened, there are those naysayers that are saying, well, I'm concerned that it's going to light up the haunt too much. But keep in mind that, you know, if there are areas that they don't want it to light up, they can easily program it that yeah. it goes off. You know, um, they can easily program it. So at this point in time, it strobes to make it even more <clears throat> disorienting. You know, um, <clears throat> my my issue with any of these sort of interactive things is um, don't use it to do anything that you can use a proximity Correct. sensor Correct. to do Correct. because nobody Correct. will know. Yeah. Well, that is exactly the the problem that we had with uh, with uh, our torch stuff back in the day, right? It was like, uh, yeah. even though we worked on knots, we worked with knots to redo the trick-or-treat maze, uh, people didn't know that the flashlight was the thing triggering the stuff that, you know, it looked right. like a proximity sensor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. so yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, and then, of course, food. They have a lot of food offerings. I don't want to go into them. You can read the the uh the thing for that uh, and parking parking is raised to 35 dollars a car this year which you know I, I think if you have a parking pass it doesn't apply to you but um yowza um and then you can you know read the article there's a lot of there's hotel packages there's a buffet there's all these other things read the article for that those are the things i thought was most interesting um as i mentioned at the top of the show though this whole thing was an event and the event was open to the public. It was on August 24th. It was $20 per person, regardless of whether you had a pass or whatnot. Um, media was invited. So they basically tried to do this announcement event for the first time ever and a media night at the same time. So as you can guess, there were some like lo logistical hiccups because first year event you just we talked about it with taste of terror right remember when i talked taste of terror i was like they didn't have enough tables right. <laughs> they had to right. like move stuff around right well i mean anytime anytime you try to be a servant to two masters somebody is going to be uh, left out in the cold whether that is the the media um or or the guests who paid to be there and you know you have to be careful um i'm sure there was a great bit of learning uh, as to how they can improve and how they can tweak and and massage and perhaps expand or divide or whatever um, for for this event. I, I on the one hand, I love the idea of having uh, actual guests at a mm -hmm. media event. At the same time, I think that actually takes money out of your pocket because the media can't do what they're necessarily there to do. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent that you make media events a strong representation of the product, an honest representation of the product, but in the best possible light so that the media can get what they need to, to get in order to promote your experience. Yep. And uh, I've, I've been through many a media day and am involved with uh, one, two, three this year um, for different clients. And uh, we've talked a lot about making certain that in the media day, you don't just decide what you're going to do as the company. You decide what are the guests going to do? How, what, is the, what is the moment to moment um, experience of the media? And does it differ between broadcast media and um, social media? Does it differ between uh, uh, radio and print media and television media? So you, you really have to have somebody who is... Um, who is concerned about how do we get this person, what does their night look like? Not just what are we offering them, but what does their night look like? And how do we make certain that they get everything they need in order to prom promote yep. your experience? And um, I just, I strongly recommend that for any sort of media night, um, you know, you, you look at, you, you take a moment to sit down and go, okay, they arrive, now yep. what? 
and you'll find that there are places that you either need additional bodies to help uh, to help media wayfind or additional signage, or you know, you all of a sudden forgot. Oh gosh, they're signing in here, but we don't have a table. I mean, it's it comes down to things that are that basic, or we don't have enough tables, or we don't have enough food or beverage or whatever, whatever it is. And uh, I, I just strongly, strongly recommend um, that no matter whether you are a theme park or an independent haunt or you know, an independent Christmas event or a theme park Christmas event or whatever, whenever you're doing a media uh, experience, make sure you take that, you do that litmus test, that double check where you, you take it from the point of view of the media person and you know exactly what they're going to have happen in what order, who takes them from, from where to where. And that will help make, in most cases, make for a much smoother night and much kinder media. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I hundred percent agree with that. I think, uh, it definitely did feel like there were it was almost two separate events. One was like a media preview, and one was this preview for the public. And the events didn't feel like they really talked to each other. Um, and 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 as a result, I think that there was a lot of frustrated media. I, I I know as a member of the media, I didn't get what I needed to get, um, and none of the media that I know got what they needed to get either, um, including some of the broadcast people that I know it's from the local TV stations. To your point, Scott, I mean, you know the um, you know, I spoke with a few of them and they were, you know, they just, they couldn't, they couldn't get what they, what they needed to get for those reasons, you know, of going through it. But, um, right. so I, yeah, right. but, um, for those people listening that are thinking of doing some sort of preview event, I, we talked, we, we've been talking about preview events and why they're important, um, for a while. I just want to give the, the overview of what the event offered for people listening. I think this event was, uh, it's definitely to my knowledge, I think this, this will actually be the largest preview event for a Halloween attraction, I think, uh, because Taste of Terror was just food, right? So I think this is this is the largest uh, thing that anyone has tried so far. Um, and it was, you know, for a one-night event that's a month before they open, it was a pretty big lift, I think. Um, so the biggest thing to me was that there was the the uh, ghost town area was filled with fog and scare actors. So we had scare actors out. You know, it really felt like you're walking through. The full show lighting was on. The fog was in. There were actors out. Um, they had three photo ops, including one with the the keeper. So they had the icon character for this year that was out. Um, they did a lights on walking tour of their old maze origins from last year that kind of tells the story of knots. Uh, they were doing makeup demos on stage, show people how they're transformed into characters. They were doing not scary farm trivia. They were even doing a, a 50 year retrospective hosted by uh, Ted Doherty, our friend Ted. Uh, they were doing previews of the legacy store. They had the wardrobe department was out doing presentations on the costuming. Uh, you could buy your lantern and start testing it out. And of course you could ride ghost rider even, and you could buy food. It was a, it was a massive event for three hours, right? So uh, it was, and a month before the show opened. So, yeah, I, I and again, just just hearing it, and I did not attend the event, so I cannot say whether this is this was the case or not. For me, that would mean that there was too much. I wouldn't know where to go, and I wouldn't get. I wouldn't know what I missed. Yeah, that's um, exactly how I felt. So, and again, <laughs> I did not. I did not attend the event, so I have no idea. But. Um, I, I I I applaud them for the the robustness, but I, I I would have challenged them to say, let's focus and look at what our what we want our end results to be, and uh, but again, I'm sure there are people who went and said, oh my gosh, I got to do everything and I got to see everything and everything was available to me and that's and that's wonderful as well. So, um, 
anyway, just just make sure that as you're planning these kinds of events that you you look at it from the the participant standpoint, not just from the host standpoint. Um, looking at things from our host standpoint, we're already out of time. Can you believe it? 30 minutes just went by like that, and we've done nothing but talk about Not Scary Cute. Farm. But it is a big event, and it is their 50th anniversary, so I think that's only fair. Um, tune in next week when we will be back to talk about more things uh, theme park and attraction-based with uh, my friend and co-host, Philip Hernandez, and myself, Scott Swenson. Until next week, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we'll see you then. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network.